Well, as I said, this, this morning uh, we're going to be, uh, be focusing just on, on one verse in the Bible, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 4. And, and as I said to the, to the girls, that, that today is the day that our culture sets aside to celebrate mothers and to give thanks for mothers, to show appreciation for mothers. Like I said to the girls, I really hope that, that you show appreciation um, to your mother if she's still with you, if she's still living, if you show your, your appreciation to your mother regularly. You know, we, we, we talked even on, uh, on, uh, on last Sunday and on Wednesday about, about how children are to honor their father and their mother to obey their parents. And, and so, so we, even as, as adults who have aged mothers, we still have the opportunity to be doing that, not just on, on one day of the year, but every day of the year. And this is what, what God is calling us to do out of obedience to Him. This isn't just for children, it's for all who have mothers, and that is all of us. Well, before we, we get into the, the sermon proper, let's... Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for, for mothers, and we thank you, Lord, for fathers. We thank you, Lord, that, that your word has much to say to, to parents, not just particularly here in this verse, but all through the Bible, and of the importance of, of mothers, the importance of fathers. And Lord, we pray that as we focus here this morning on fathers from this passage, I, I pray, Lord, that, that there would be application for all of us, for, for mothers and fathers, and, and Lord, even for, for children. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit under the proclamation of your word. Lord, that our lives would be changed. Lord, that we would repent of, of ways that, that do not honor you, ways that we fail to, to live up to this command. And, and Lord, I pray that, that you would help us Lord, to bear fruit in keeping with our repentance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue to, to look at the book of Ephesians, and, and we're here uh, in, in what we've described, what has been described as the household code, which really runs from, from Ephesians 5, 21, and, and down to 6, verse 9. We're, we're pretty much uh, in the middle of that. First, we looked at at uh, husbands and wives, or actually more, more accurately, wives and husbands. And this last week we looked at children, and then this, this week we're going to look at fathers, and next week at, at masters and servants. And in each one of these passages, what, what the Apostle Paul does first is he addresses the, the one who is to submit, and then he addresses the one who is the head. We saw that, wives submit to husbands. He addressed the wives first, and he says, husbands, your submission is ultimately unto Christ, as you love your wife as Christ. And last week we saw how children are to submit to their parents, and to honor their parents, to obey their parents. This morning we're going to be talking about, about parents and, and their responsibilities, specifically fathers. And then next week we'll see how the Apostle Paul addresses first servants, and then masters, you see the, the enduring application of that for us. But before we turn our attention directly to fathers, I want to think a little bit more about mothers. And it's, it's interesting in God's providence that, uh, that we would have got to this particular passage on this particular day. You know, I, I don't generally preach the calendar, but, but in, in God's providence, this is the verse that is before us for today, for Mother's Day. 
We think through church history. We think of, of many of, of the, the godly leaders throughout church history, how they give credit to the influence of their mothers. Think of, of Jonathan Edwards, and John and Charles Wesley, of, of C. H. Spurgeon, how they all testified to the powerful impact that their mothers had on them in their faith. Jonathan Edwards' mother, Esther, she was, was described as surpassing her husband in, in native vigor of understanding that, that, his, that Jonathan Edwards' mother was actually uh, better, uh, better able to understand and, and apply the, the Word of God even than her, her father, who were, Edwards' father, who was a pastor. And according to Edwards' biographer, Sarah North Dwight, that, that she instilled in, the, in Jonathan her own great love of books. And, and Jonathan Edwards went on to, to become a, a great Christian thinker, arguably the, the greatest thinker, even not just Christian thinker, but the greatest thinker that the United States has ever produced. C.H. Spurgeon testified of his mother Eliza. He says, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn words of my good mother. It was the custom on Sunday evenings while we were yet little children for her to stay home with us. And we sat around the table and read verse by verse and she explained the scriptures to us. And after that was done, then came the time of pleading. And the question was asked, how long would it be before we would think about our state? How long before we seek the Lord? Then came the mother's prayer. And some of the words of that prayer we shall never forget, even when our hair is gray. Spurgeon says, I remember on one occasion her praying thus, Now, Lord... If my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish, and my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment, if they lay not hold of Christ. That thought of the mother's bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. The impact of a Christian mother. John and Charles Wesley's mother, Susanna, bore between, somewhere between 17 to 19 children. Ten of whom survived. And through it all, she remained a steadfast Christian. And, and she, she not only taught the scriptures, but lived the scriptures before her sons. And once she wrote, uh, We must know God experientially, for unless the heart perceive and know Him to be the one supreme good, her only happiness, unless the soul feel and acknowledge that she can have no repose, no peace, no joy, but in loving and being loved by Him. Now, it's... it's Really interesting that that the, the the Wesley brothers were were on their way from England to the United States as missionaries, uh, and in the in the 18th century, but and they, they were part, been part of a group called the Holiness Club, but they were unconverted. They weren't converted until they met a Moravian evangelist on, who was also on that ship as a, as a missionary. And one of these words from their mother that that you must have the, the personal experience of the Lord Jesus Christ in your own life. That's the only real and true salvation. So Edwards and the Wesleys and Spurgeon, they, they have had more impact on the world than, than I would argue than any living head of state. Countless people came to faith through their ministry. Countless, countless people have continued to be influenced by them through their writings. And all of them were influenced profoundly by their good, for good by their mothers. And their impact 
and their mother's impact will echo on into eternity. William Ross Wallace was correct when he wrote this poem. It's called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is the Hand That Rules the World. The final stanza says, Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry. The sacred song is mingled with worship in the sky, mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. There is, is no underestimating the, the influence of a godly mother for good in the lives of her children. With today being Mother's Day, it might seem strange that I would entitle my sermon Father's Day. But really, as, it's, it's really, as I said, it's part of, of continuing through the book of Ephesians. And this is simply where we got to this morning. So again, in God's providence, we've arrived at Ephesians 6, verse 4. Let me read it for you again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, someone would suggest that this exhortation is addressed to fathers and mothers, and it could be. The word that's translated here, fathers, can sometimes refer to both parents. The same word is actually used to refer to both parents in Hebrews 11, 23, which refers to, uh, well, I'll just read it. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And when you go to that description, the description of that event from Exodus 2, you'll find that it was actually his mother. It was actually Moses' mother who was the one that had hid him in the, in the, uh, the ark made of reeds and, and put her on the Nile River. But, but there in Hebrews, the same word that is used in, in Ephesians 6.4 is used to refer to both parents. They're in the plural. So technically, in Ephesians 6.4, Paul could be referring to both fathers and mothers. But I don't think so. At, at least not directly. Why not? Because Paul has just used a different word, a word that is more commonly used to describe both parents in verse 1. So Paul used the, 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 more, the term that is more broadly referred to, to as for both parents in verse 1, and it's a different word that he uses here in verse 4, and it really doesn't make sense that Paul would, would somehow shift gears and use a completely different word to mean the same thing only a couple of verses later. Okay, it's, um, he, as we told, children to honor their, their, their father and mother, their parents. And the word that's translated fathers in verse 4, again, is the plural of that word that he's just used. So I believe that the immediate context refers to the points to the fact that Paul is referring directly to fathers here. Apostle Paul is referring directly to fathers. I think there's other reasons for this as well. First of all, I think that fathers are more likely the ones who need to hear this exhortation. It's a, it's a, um, first, in the, the negative command is not to provoke your children. And while I think that, that, that both Fathers and mothers can sometimes provoke, provoke their children. I think there's more. It's more likely and probably even more more easy for a father to do it than for a mother. It, it more, it's more likely that the father's going to provoke their children in, in the way that they um, they can be harsh and, and in all kinds of ways that we're going to talk about how we shouldn't parent. 
um, later on in, the, in this message. I also think that, that uh, fathers are, are more tempted to be disengaged from the upbringing of their parents than, than mothers. Mothers tend to be uh, more naturally nurturing. It's, again, this is generalization, it's a bit, but, but generally mothers tend to be more nurturing than, than fathers. And so I think this, that's another reason why Paul is focusing on, on fathers here. But the final reason why I believe this is addressed to fathers is because ultimately fathers, the buck stops with you. The buck stops with you. We just saw from, from verses 22 to 33 how, how husbands are given as heads over wives. That they, husbands and wives, we, we went at length to explain, are, are equal in, in terms of their relationship with Christ, but there is a headship of husbands over wives. The same principle it, it applies here that, that ultimately fathers are the heads of their homes. Both fathers and mothers bear responsibility for the training of their children, but fathers, the ultimate responsibility is yours. You are the one who sets the spiritual tone for your family, for good or for ill. You are the one who is, is called to provide spiritual oversight over your family. Now, mothers, we, we have seen that... that that, that this does, even though fathers are there is ultimately as the heads, mothers, this does not mean that your job is not important. Your job is vital. Your job is supremely important. You are to work together with your husband in the raising of your children. In fact, you're the one who's likely going to spend more time with them than, than their father. And in reality, though, that even though I believe that the Apostle Paul is, is directly addressing fathers, that, that many of the things we're going to talk about by way of application can also be, be applied to you as well. And so I would encourage you to, to think about these things in, in term, not just in terms of, of, what, of what a father is to do, but also of what you are to do. Like I said in my prayer, this is also my, my desire is to... Um, to encourage those who are not yet mothers, but hope to be. And girls, that includes you. That, that you would begin to set your minds on, on, what, on the type of person that God would have you be to establish patterns in your lives. So that, that when that time comes in, a, in, in the distant future, it might seem like a very long time, and it will be, but, but, for, but it's going to happen more quickly than you think. Most likely. So these things apply to you as well. And, and, and for those here who, who are not fathers and have not been fathers, again, for those who will be, it's, it's, it's to encourage you to begin to prepare yourself for, for those things, those to be developing these godly characteristics. And if, if fatherhood is, it, it, in, in the natural sense, is, is not for you, then, then and, and by this I mean, one who is, has adopted children is equally a father as much as one who has, is biologically a father. We'll talk about this later, but, um, but, but it, it, only takes, it only takes a moment to become a biological father. But to be a spiritual father takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. 
And for those, maybe some of the men here might, might never have children. But, but who knows, but, but, how, but God might make you a spiritual father in some of the, the lives of younger men. Be disciple. Think of the Apostle Paul who probably had no children. Timothy calls him his father. And so, man, all of us have a, have a privilege and responsibility of being a, a spiritual father to younger men in the church. And, and, second, or in, uh, and Titus 2 talks, talks about that, about, about our, the role that, that we have to influence younger men. And First, uh, first Peter 5, uh, verses 1 to 5 as well. So there's something here for all of us. There's something here for all of us, not just for biological fathers. What does it mean to be a father? Well, the first place we should look in order to understand what it means to be a father is, is God the Father. Right? God the Father is the ultimate father. He, he's the exemplary father in every way. He's the first and eternal father in every way. And, and, and he provides our ultimate example and the ultimate standard of what it means to be a father. Now, of course, there's not a one-to-one a -one correlation between earthly fathers and, and the heavenly father. But when it comes to God's communicable attributes, those attributes that, that he has that are intrinsic to him, that he has placed in his people, then these are the ways that we can begin to understand what it means for us to be fathers. See, the, the father's love, his faithfulness, his, his mercy. These types of things, even is, is holiness, not to the same degree, of course, but, but we are called to follow after those things and those communicable attributes of God. Well, again, this is not a one-to-one -one comparison, but, but I think of Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. I've been thinking a lot about Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15, Jesus' model prayer. I'm really excited to be to be able to to, to preach that series um, through to this church, um, starting Lord willing at the beginning of October. And how does that that prayer begin? Our Father who art in heaven, our Father. And we can see from that prayer what the, the characteristics of God and and, and many of, of those many of those of those things that that, that we look to in our, in our own Father. For authority, for provision, for protection. We can also look to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in that passage it's referring to God the Father who gave his son. Why did he do that? To secure salvation. Out of, out of his great love, he sent his son to secure salvation for his people. Fathers, this needs to be our first and, and foremost priority in the raising of our, of our children, to seek their salvation. We see the father's love. This is, is not just a, an emotional feeling. It's <coughs> sacrificial love. It's sacrificial love which along with the Son's willingness to die on our behalf, is the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made. That God the Father sacrificed God the Son for us. In addition to Christ's death for us. 
was the greatest sacrifice ever. And so, fathers, this is the standard. This is the standard of, of our loving sacrifice and what is to be for our children. We can look to James 1.17 that, that God the Father is the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And every good and every get, perfect gift comes from Him. James 1.17 the, the, the Lord the Father is faithful. He is not unreliable. He does what He says He's going to do. He can be trusted to always work in the best interests of His children. Always. Again, fathers, this is the, the standard of, of, of fatherhood that, that, that you are called to. But the references to God the Father that would have been first and foremost in the minds of these Ephesian Christians would have been the references to God the Father in this very letter. I, I believe that, that, well, first we need to remember that, that, that when this, this letter came to the church in Ephesus, it was writ, it was read in total, it was, it was, they read the whole thing. They, they, I mean, we, we're going to take close to 40 weeks to go over it. They just, they read it. All in one piece. Probably many times. And so the things that, that we see as disjointed all had a unity. And, and so if we think about the references of God the Father in, the, in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6, that, that the, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons and daughters. Or Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And Ephesians 4, 6, that there is one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now this, uh, of these, these passages in this context, John Stott says that God has united the church as one family under Him. So let us, as fathers, care for our family as He cares for His. Right? So, so I think John starts right here. He's saying, he's, he's saying that when you think about the, the broad picture of Ephesians, that that's one of the, the key points that, that Paul is making here. That the Father has united one church under the Father in Christ. And so all of the commands are, are subject to, to that purpose. To, to that main purpose in writing this letter, including this one here. So practically speaking, being a father mean, means that you, as the head of your home, are to care for your children as God the Father cares for us. To care for your children as God the Father cares for us. And it's really important that, that you understand that, that you, you do that by exercising authority, like the Father. By providing for them, like the Father. By protecting them, like the Father. By loving them, like the Father. By doing what's best for them, like the Father. And by seeking that they would be saved, like the Father. The Puritans commonly referred to the role of father as prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And, and without getting to, into all of what that means, it means that you are to ensure that your children are trained spiritually, emotionally, socially, intellectually, 
and physically. And I believe that's, I've ordered it like that on purpose because I believe that's, that's also the order of importance. Spiritually, emotionally, socially, intellectually, and physically. Not to the, not, not to the exclusion of any of those, but that the spiritual area is the most important. And all of the others fall under that umbrella. Well, many parents think that they've done a good job if, if their, their children grow up and have a good marriage and, and decent morals and a solid education and a, a desirable career and a healthy lifestyle. They think that, that if, if that's the way their children have turned out, that they've done a good job. I don't want to deny that those things are important. But the spiritual well-being of your children is of utmost importance. 19th century pastor R.W. Dale wrote that parents should care more for the loyalty of their children to Christ than for anything besides. More for this than for their health, their intellectual vigor and brilliance, their material prosperity, their social position, their exemption from great sorrows and great misfortunes. He continues, only when our children have found eternal righteousness and eternal life in Him has the trust we received from Him been successfully discharged. Only then have our children discharged, then only then have our children discharged their supreme duty and achieved their supreme blessedness. Our spirit, the spiritual well-being of our children is of the utmost importance. Now, of course, we would all declare that we want our children to follow Jesus. I'm sure there's no one here that, that wouldn't list that as, as being a, a top priority. But the question is how? How do you do this? How do you go about seeking to get your children saved? Now we know that God is sovereign. We understand from God's word that He is sovereign. We know that, that He must call His children uh, our children even, to himself if they're going to be saved. We saw that repeatedly in the first half of Ephesians. The Bible really does teach God's sovereignty, but it also teaches man's responsibility. Our children have a personal responsibility to turn away from their sins and to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So God is sovereign. And our children are responsible. But fathers, you also have responsibility. You also have responsibility. We see this in, 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 in this very verse. That's what Ephesians 6 is about. It's about your responsibility as fathers to seek that your children are saved. It does so with two simple statements. One negative, one positive. Let me read it to you again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now that's it. That, that's all the Apostle Paul gives here. And sometimes I wish he would, he would give us books on this topic, because it's, it's, it's... We don't see that here in this passage. Now the Bible does teach a lot about parenting. You, you can see it all over the place. You can, and, and I think Proverbs is a, is a really good place for, for you to go for practical wisdom on parenting. It's, it's all through the book of Proverbs. But here in Ephesians, we just have these two simple statements. One positive, the other negative. This is actually one more put off 
and put on that we, we talked about so much a few weeks ago. It's put off provocation and put on cultivation. Put off provocation and put on cultivation. So, so first of all, put off provocation. You know, one of my earliest memories was of visiting a zoo. I was just, just a little boy. And I remember that, that at the zoo they had a bear in a cage. And there was a man, he was in uniform, so I, I, I believe he worked for the zoo, and he was there poking the bear with a stick to, to get the bear riled up. And the bear was trying to, to reach his paws through the, the bars and, and to try to get the guy. But he couldn't. And I remember, this, this was one of my earliest memories. I, I don't know what, what was... What had more of an impact on me than the sight of seeing an enraged bear. This bear was angry. Or, or whether it was, was my anger, my own anger at the man for doing this. I, part of me hoped that the bear would get the guy. <laughs> but fathers, what are you doing to poke the bear? What are you doing to provoke your children to anger? We can all easily do this. There's several ways, and I'm sure there's more, but these are, 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 I think, some of the key ones. By your own anger. When you discipline your, your child in anger, you are provoking them to anger. In fact, you're teaching them anger. You're actually teaching them patterns of behavior that, that when they... Get, get older, they're, well, maybe not when they get older, but they're going to be a mirror to you of your anger. Abuse. Verbal or, or physical abuse provokes your children. Shaming. When, when you mock them. You make, when you make fun of them or, or imitate them. When, when you discipline them in public. When you shame them, it provokes your children to anger. When you're not just, when you when you you you, you have a, a different way of treating one child versus versus the other, when they, they see that injustice, they, they're provoked to anger. Tied to that is favoritism. When when you favor one child over another, you are provoking them to anger. When you when you fail to encourage your children. You know, are, are, just ask yourself, are, are you, what do you think the ratio would be of your correction versus your encouragement of your children? Do you spend more time correcting or more time encouraging? I think most of us would admit that it's, it's easier to spot what's wrong than, than it is to, to, to catch them doing the right thing and to encourage them in. Failure to discipline. You know, when I, when I first started teaching school, I, I remember being surprised when, when I would have a, a parent-teacher interview, and, and uh, particularly a parent-teacher interview with, with a child who was not, with one of the, the difficult kids to, to, to teach. And I had this, this presupposition in my mind that, that the parents would be overly harsh and, and really just, just hard on their kids. But you know what was actually the opposite? In my experience, anyway, the, the, the kids that I found were the, the most difficult to teach were, had parents who were the most lenient. Parents who, who really didn't do much of anything to, to, to provide safe boundaries for their children in which to operate. 
think of one, of one child who, this is a little boy's grade six, nine or ten years old, and he was able to go running around the neighborhood after dark until nine o'clock at night. His mother had no idea where, where he was. But I do know that, that there were times when she came down on him really hard. And that leads to, to, the, next, to the next one, to, to fail to be consistent. Again, at one point to let your, your child um, get away with something, and, and the next point to come down on them heavy for, for, for doing the same thing. A failure to be consistent, it, it provokes your children to anger. To try to get them to fit into your own ideas of success. You know, so many parents are, are trying to live their lives vicariously through their children, and they want what's best for their, their children, but they're trying to pigeonhole their kids into what they think their idea of success is. And, we need to, 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 and, a, and a parent should really be seeking to help guide them. A child should be submissive to the parent's leadership in that. But we need to remember that our children are individuals and our children are not us. You know, and one, one really good example I, I think of this is, is in my wife's family. You know, there, there's six kids and, and each one of them has, 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 has done really well. In, and I, I mean, you know, they're, they're almost all of them, I believe, are saved. But, but I just mean even in a, in a natural sense that each one of them has really excelled in, in their career, but, but it's all been extremely difficult. There's, a, there's an accountant, there's an architect, there's a chef, there's a, a computer programmer, there's, um, there's a midwife, there's a physical therapist, I think that's all of them. Each one was, was encouraged to, to find their own giftings, to explore and to be able to find out who they were, and, and encouraged to excel in, in their own desires. Failure to spend time with them. You know, quality time is a, is a cliche in our culture, isn't it? It's a, it's a cliche, but, but you, can't, it's, you can't undervalue the importance of, of sitting down with your kids and, and really intentionally sitting and talking with them. You know, I, I have friends that, that do daddy dates with their daughters. You know, or, or mothers that do son dates, mommy dates with, with their sons. There's a real benefit in doing that, to sit down and, and really talk with them. That doesn't have to stop when they're, when they're little. That, that quality time. Now, quality time shouldn't be, we should say, well, you know, we had an hour of quality time this week, so I don't want to spend any other time with my kids. It's not quality time, the expensive quantity time. I need to be intentional in, in spending time with your kids. You know, I was encouraged by your example, Mr. Lord. You said that as busy as you were with pastoring, you always made sure that you would be home with your kids before, before dinner and some time after dinner to, to be able to spend time with them, to be able to, to nurture your boys. I had a professor in my, uh, my pastoral theology class, and, and this really stuck with me. He said, I, I was long, far away from having kids at this point. But he said that, uh, Paul Martin, he said that, uh, that they would have their, their, their time together as a family was Friday nights. It was family time. Now he, Paul's a very, very busy pastor. But, but his family time was, was Friday nights. And, and, he would, and he would make sure that they, they spend really good times together as a family. Now, occasionally, of course, as a pastor, things come up. That, that you, where you can't meet those obligations, but, but those were the exception rather than the rule, and when it was the case, that he would make, make sure that he, made, that he made time for them later on, that he made that time up to them whenever possible. These things are important to our kids. And that's tied to, then to a, a failure to keep promises. When we, don't, when we don't keep our promises to our kids, 
we are provoking them to anger. We need to, our kids need to know that when we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. Now, if you have failed in, in any of these, and we let's face it, then we've all failed in some of them. When we fail in these things, we need to confess it to the Lord. We need to ask His forgiveness because ultimately it is sin against Him. We're sinning against Him by going against what the Apostle Paul is commanding us here in Ephesians 6 4. We need to confess it to the Lord as sin and repent of it, but we also need to confess it to our children. You know, maybe, maybe those things are, are a long time in the past. You know, maybe maybe I'm, 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 I'm exposing things here that might have happened 10, 20 years ago. But it's not too late to ask your children for forgiveness. If you're here remembering it this morning, they're probably remembering it as well. This is an opportunity for you to go and to make it right, to, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But there's one more thing I want to say before we move on from, from this, particularly about promises. Man, the most important promise that you can keep is the one that you didn't even make to your children. I, man, take you, woman, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward, until death do us part. Now, you might not have made that specific promise, but you, on your wedding day, made a promise similar to that. Arguably, that the, the worst damage that you can inflict on your children is through your marriage. By failing to stand with your wife. By failing to love and to cherish her. Now you didn't make that vow to your children. But you know you didn't even ultimately make that vow to your wife. You made that vow ultimately to the Lord. And so to, to break that vow is to sin ultimately not just against your children, not just against your wife, but to the Lord himself. Faithlessness to your wife is faithlessness to the Lord. But let's look at that from the positive side. When you in your marriage demonstrate faithfulness to your wife and in all of those ways, and all the ways that God is calling you to in His Word, you are cultivating a strong marriage and you are cultivating strong children. Again, the best thing that you can do, the worst thing that you can do is to damage your children in the way you conduct yourself in your marriage. The, the best thing you can do for your kids is to have a strong marriage. To cultivate a strong marriage. And even, even in secular circles, they, they get this. They understand the impact of a strong marriage on the well-being and, and upbringing of children. Well, then that, that then takes us to the, the second half of, of this verse. And, and I'm, I'm almost finished here. But, but this is to, to we, we, we're put off provocation and we put on cultivation. To put on cultivation. And you need to understand just how countercultural what the Apostle Paul is teaching here is. In Greco Roman culture, there's a principle called, called patria potestis, which which, which really means the, the, it's the Latin for the authority of fathers. The 
authority of, the authority of fathers over their children. Did you know that in Greco-Roman culture, so the, the culture to which this letter was written, that fathers had more authority over their children than they had even over their slaves? You know that? Fathers had more authority over their children than they had over the slaves. And that, 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 that authority was, to the, was lifelong. Lifelong that they could they could force their children to labor. That um, this is John MacArthur. This he said, said that, that 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 a father could actually force his children to work in the fields in chains. And you think, well, a father would never do that. Well, there was another, even more heinous authority that that fathers had over their children in that era, and it was authority even over their lives themselves. There was another common practice in Greco-Roman culture called exposure. What if a father didn't want, when a baby was born, if the father didn't want that child for any reason, they, they, would, they would leave the child in a garbage heap. The modern day equivalent of abortion, the, the ancient equivalent of abortion in our day. They would leave their, their children, it was, more often it was daughters, they didn't want a daughter, one of the sons, so they would, would leave their, their infant daughters to die. Or if their, their son had any, any physical defect, they could leave that son to die. And this was common. It was, it was actually common in the in the, the, the church would, would go, many of the church would go and scour the, the garbage heaps looking for children. They would bring those children to their homes and adopt them as their own families. But this, this, the way that a father would treat his, his children in this culture, and, and of course I'm not saying that all fathers were cruel and wicked to their parents, but it was socially, or their, to their children rather, but it was socially acceptable for them to be so. And so again, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is countercultural. He, he's turning the culture of the day on its head. He, he's showing, he's in the, and these men in the church have not to live like pagans anymore. But how to live as Christians, how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, of their calling here as fathers. This word that's translated uh, bring them up is, is also, uh, can be translated nurture. Nurture is to, to raise a child to maturity by providing physical for their their physical and their spiritual needs. It's to, to raise them, to rear them, and to bring them up. And it's, it's, it can refer to the nurture of body, mind, and soul. It's exactly the same word that Paul used in 529, just a few verses prior, where he said that no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. It's the same word here in Ephesians 6.4. Calvin says of this, he says, let them be fondly cherished. Let children be fondly cherished. That's, that's the idea of that's the idea of, of this nurturing or cultivation. If you think of, of a rose bush, we've got roses sitting there. Now, roses are pretty resilient, aren't they? If you've done any gardening, that roses are, are tough. Back last summer, when we were doing the landscaping up front, we, we dug up two very old rose bushes and, and transplanted them. And, and I thought, there were two very pretty rose bushes, I thought that we killed them. Because we did it in the summer, we poured water, lots and lots of water on them, but they looked dead for a long time. But I watched carefully, gradually little, little sprouts 
began to come up. And, and both of these roses are, are they're lush and green here this morning. And, and if you come back in, in a month's time, they'll be covered in rosebuds. I think our children are a little bit like that too, thankfully. Our children are resilient. You know, they're, they're sometimes they're a little bit thorny. But our children are resilient and, and they, they, they really put up with a lot of junk from us. But we're, we're to, to nourish them. Right? To, to, to make sure that they, they, they get the, the fertilizer that they need. To prune them. To, to train them. Right? Especially for climbing rules and the way that, that you train it to, to go up a trellis. And with diligent work, you're going to get, even, even well, with diligent work, and even with, with our weak attempts at work, quite often you'll, you'll get a rose bush that's covered in beautiful blossoms. This is the fruit of, of nurturing your children. Well, what's the, the content of, of the cultivation that, that Paul is talking about here? He says, uses two words, discipline and instruction. Now, now both of these words, they're, they're, they have a similar meaning, and they can actually, they're sometimes used in scriptures interchangeably. They really fall under the, the same semantic range. They both, they're very similar words with similar meaning. And I believe repeating, there's a slightly different emphasis, but, but he's repeating it, repeating it for emphasis. So we think of discipline, it's, it's, it's more uh, correction when there's, when there's a, a mistake, and that needs to be part of, of discipline. The, the same, it's the same root um, in English, discipline, as disciple. Right? There's a, there's a, we, think of, we think in that sense of, of correction. And then instruction is, is a training in the... In, we tend to think of it in a more of a positive sense by bringing the Word of God to bear on their lives. And, and both of these, because I believe that they're meant to be parallel, and so it's, it's the discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. The discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. So contrary to the culture of that day, the Apostle Paul here has wanted Christian fathers to be gentle, to patiently teach their children in, in, with a focus on, the faith, on being faithful to Christ as Lord. And so doing there to be different from those of the surrounding culture. And so fathers, how are you going to do this? There's many ways that, that are, are entirely appropriate under the, the, the obedience to this command, you could, if you want to homeschool, you can homeschool your kids, and that is, is one very acceptable and, and worthy way of doing this. Now, there's, there's other considerations that you need to consider, including socialization and, and some others, but, but homeschooling is, is a good way of doing this. You could send your kids to private school. And with that, you need to be very careful because you should not assume that even if, it, if the school has the name Christian attached to it, that it really is truly a Christian school. In fact, I think most often you should probably assume the opposite. Don't just assume that they're, that they're in a, a so-called Christian school that they're getting exposed to true Christianity. I've experienced teaching in, in Christian schools, and I know some of what is being taught there. Send them to public school. Now you can do that too, and I, I do need to say that that, 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 that is, can be dangerous. Yeah, it's a case-by-case -case situation. But if you are 
If you are sending your kids to public school, you need to be intentionally deprogramming them. Because in, in most public schools, they're getting an anti-Christian education. Ask the, ask the school if you can see their sex ed material. You'd be shocked at what's there. Not just what's there overtly, but what is being what is there subtly. And even, even from a very young age. I'm not saying it's wrong to do it, but you need to be careful. You need to be very careful. What about the church? Should we leave it to the church to do this? Well, I, I, I hope that we're getting, your kids are getting taught the things of God here at church. That's one of my responsibilities. But again, fathers, the, the ultimate responsibility is not mine. And, and, I, and I know I'm preaching the choir here. Man, I know you know this. Could you hand it over to the mother? Many do. And they say, well, the way that I exercise my headship was I leave it to their mom. Man, that's not good enough. You need to be in regular communication with her about how the kids are doing. You know, when it comes to, to disciplining them, you know, the, the, I, I would argue that the, when you're at home, the primary disciplinarian should be you. Okay, and this is, I can't go chapter and verse on this, but, but your wife has been doing this all day. Okay, you, you need to be involved in it. And there's many practical things. If, if you're interested in some, in some, some practical resources, I'd be happy to help you. I've actually... Um, um, Elijah just recently lent me um, a, a couple of different catechisms. Okay, catechism is a short question and answer on, on the, the things of God. And we started doing the, 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 the Baptist catechism with, with Liam, and, and he's able, he's three, he's able to, to get a fair few of these context, concepts. Now, he is not born again, but he's able to begin to understand. You know, I think about, about some of my my friends who have, have now grown children, that, that they raised them knowing that they're unbelievers, but they showed them the standard of what God is calling them to. They, they, did it, they, they, they always started to ground their, their instruction and their discipline in the gospel. So that when these kids eventually came to faith, and, and as I think about it, this particular family, in every case they've got ten kids, and in every case they have, they have they were able to kind of hit the ground running when they really got saved because they, they weren't learning, everything wasn't brand new to them because of the role of their parents. Deuteronomy 6, for us in the, in the call to worship. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all, Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Fathers, do you want your children to love the Lord? If you do, then you had better love the Lord. Do you want your children to obey the Lord? then you had better obey the Lord. Our, our children are listening to our words, but even more than that, they're watching our example. And, and if, if we, by the way that, that we live our lives, are, are, are denying the very things that we teach, then, then it's, it's worse, I would argue, that in many respects, than even not teaching them at all. Now, again, we all fail. We need to confess it to the Lord, confess it to sin, uh, to, uh, sin, and confess it to them as well. And this is not just having a daily devotional time. 
we found that it is certainly not less than that. But as we see in, in, in Deuteronomy 6, it's as you sit, as you walk, as you lie down, as you rise, it's bringing the Word of God to bear on all of life. It's as you talk to your kids, what does the Bible say about that? When you go through a trial as a family, it's, it's praying together as a family, saying, well, let's, let's learn from God's Word. Let's seek out guidance and instruction, and instruction from God's Word. And just finally, is uh, many of you are familiar with Ted Tripp, who wrote the, the book. It's one of the most popular books on, on parenting in, in, in our circles. It's, it's called um, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And he came and spoke at, a, at another local church a couple of years ago. And, and one of the things they talked about, it was really, it wasn't, it wasn't in the book, but it was the best part of what he had to, to say. It was about that, that one of the primary responsibilities that we have as fathers is to communicate to our children the glory of God. To communicate to our children the glory of God. Psalm 145.4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and declare your mighty acts. If you want your children to see the glory of God, you have to see the glory of God first. Ask the Lord to reveal His glory to you and, and help you to focus on who He is and what He is doing. And when you do that, and when you train your children in that way, they are far less likely to succumb to the temptations and the distractions of the world. Again, a, a man becomes a biological father in a moment. But being a spiritual father takes a lifetime. Being a spiritual father takes a lifetime. Men, do you understand your responsibility? When you, when you bring a child into the world, or, or through adoption, when you, when you say, I, I am I'm bringing that child into my family, his, his name is, is my son, I am his father, do you understand what's happening there? This child... Your child is an eternal soul. Your child is an eternal soul who will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, your child has responsibility for the choices that he or she will make. But men, you also have responsibility. You can't do any of this apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. <clears throat> Again, John Stott said that God has united, has united the church as one family under Him. Let us as fathers care for our family as He cares for His. If you do not have the Holy Spirit working in your heart, that is impossible. Unless you are born again, you will never, you can never, you won't ever do this. There are times, not just when you will provoke your children, but there are times when they will provoke you. You need to be the father in those moments. You need to repent of times that you have failed to be the father. You need to set the example, like Timothy set to the church in 1 Timothy 4.12, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. And purity. May God do that in our midst. May He make us fathers like that for the expansion of His kingdom in our midst and further afield. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you are our Father because of Christ.
Lord, we thank you for the, the one of the greatest privileges that, that we can have as men is to be fathers. Lord, as David was a man after your own heart, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be fathers after your father heart. For Heavenly Father, you are a father. You are our father. And we pray these things confident that you will do it in us for your glory and for the building of your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.